Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Well, hello and welcome to Voice of the Church. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at Christ's genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. And we've seen the Davidic imprint on these verses, highlighting Christ as king. We've seen his ministry to the Gentiles anticipated. And last week, we saw that he's numbered with transgressors. number of beautiful truths we've seen in these verses. And now I'd like to look at one more as we consider the theme of Christ restoring his people from exile. As we'll see, that's one of the main points of the last part of this section. Let me recall Matthew 1 verse 1 introduced Christ, the son of David and son of Abraham. And then verses uh, 2 through 6 of Matthew chapter 1 then go on to trace his genealogy from Abraham all the way to David. Um, the next section traces it from David up until the deportation to Babylon. And then the final section, verses 12 to 17, says this. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. What is Matthew doing here in these verses? It reminds me of the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I'm sure you know the song where it says, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Notice the hymn writer suggests that Israel is still captive in exile until the coming of Christ. Which is interesting, since at the end of the Old Testament, God's people have returned from exile. And so why would this great Christmas hymn suggest that God's people are still in exile? Well, it's because of Matthew chapter 1. Even though the people have returned, the glory that God said would fill the second temple has not yet come. The overthrowing of enemy kingdoms has not yet occurred. The descendant of Zerubbabel, who would rule as God's signet ring, has not yet come. These are all promises that the prophets gave to God's people when they returned, but they have not yet been fulfilled. The people are in the land but they're effectively still in exile. And notice how Matthew very intentionally communicates this in the way that he structures his genealogy. 
Now, from just a cursory reading of Matthew 1, you might be tempted to think that the deportation to Babylon in verse 12 is nothing but a mere transition to uh, sort of uh, conveniently break up Israel's history into three groups of 14. But it's actually far more than that. Matthew demonstrates his literary sophistication again with his use of symmetry in these first 17 verses. As he uses this parallel structure, a sort of um, ABC, CBA, or, or 1, 2, 3, 3, 2, 1 pattern, where uh, verse 1 goes Christ, David, Abraham, in the order that it mentions the three men, Christ, David, Abraham, and then the rest of the genealogy proceeds in the exact opposite order, Abraham, David, Christ. Giving us what biblical scholars call a chiasm, this, this sort of parallel structure. Only there is an interruption within the pattern. The literary pattern is broken in verse 12 by the intrusion of the exile, making it stand out like a sore thumb. Matthew places this lone historical event in the middle of a long list of names as that which breaks up the literary pattern, as that which is the only um, historical event that's mentioned, as that which interrupts what we would otherwise expect. And that's really what the exile was, an interruption in the fulfillment of God's promises. An interruption in what we would expect, an an interruption where the Davidic kingdom is put on hold, where the promises to Abraham are put on pause. What Matthew is suggesting by placing the spotlight on this event and making it the last major historical marker before the coming of Christ is that Israel is still in exile. The third part of this genealogy is the unending exile with no Davidic king on the throne. They're still waiting for one to come and restore them from captivity. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Take your seat on David's throne and bring us back into the presence of God. And that is exactly what Christ has come to do. The kingdom that was inaugurated with David and lost in the exile is restored with the coming of Christ. Uh, The very structure of this genealogy indicates that with Christ is the beginning of the restoration of the kingdom. God has not forgotten his promises. Though 500 years have passed since a promise was made to Zerubbabel that God would make him like a signet ring. Those 600 years since they were dragged off into Babylon, God has not forgotten his promises to his people. Not even their sin, which brought them into exile in the first place, can frustrate the fulfillment of God's plans. Which is what Matthew goes on to say in verse 21. He will save his people from their sins. Their sins, which brought them into exile, not even those can frustrate the fulfillment of God's plans. And while Matthew is making this point on a larger redemptive historical scale in regards to Israel, let me just say this, neither can your sins, 
neither can the sins of, of others in your life, neither can the sins even of society as a whole frustrate the fulfillment of God's plans. If there is one application we can take away from these verses, it's that God is the God of history who makes all things work together according to his perfect plan, and nothing can frustrate that plan. That plan which culminates in a glorious kingdom where those who've been separated from God because of their sin are brought back into his presence by Jesus. That's what Christ has come to do, to bring those who have been separated from God back into his presence. And that's what we see in the names that are ascribed to Jesus at the end of the chapter. He's called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Emmanuel, meaning God with us. These names taken together are a promise of restoration from exile. The exile was about separation from God because of sin. But in these two names, we see that he saves his people from their sin by bringing them back into God's presence. With the coming of Jesus, the exile is over. God is once again dwelling with his people. The king is once again on the throne. And this king is not only bringing his people Israel out of exile, but his people include all who confess allegiance to the son of David. Whether that be magi from the east, whether that be Canaanite dogs begging for crumbs, or even a Roman centurion, the new king of Israel is establishing a new kingdom, and that kingdom is centered entirely around him. So that all who trust in him are part of his kingdom. All who trust in him are part of that new Israel of God built around Jesus Christ, the true Israelite, and his, his 12 disciples, representative of those 12 tribes. And as you join yourself to Jesus Christ by faith, you too are brought back to God. You are restored to him. That's what Christ coming into the world is about. The coming of Christ into the world is not just about a, a cozy baby lying in a manger. The coming of Christ into the world is about God restoring his people into his presence who have been separated from him because of their sin. He is the son of David whose heavenly kingdom has no end. He is the son of Abraham whose kingdom includes Jews and, and Gentiles and everyone in between. He is the friend of sinners who identifies with the Rahabs and the Tamars, with those who are overwhelmed with guilt and shame. And all of this he does in order to draw us back to God. What a beautiful gospel story Matthew chapter 1 tells an invitation for us to worship this king, to place our sins upon him and be restored to his father. I pray that you'll do that, for that is the only way that the problem of man's separation from God can be solved. As you place your sins upon Jesus, looking to him in faith and repentance, this one who comes to restore us into God's presence who does so by taking on our flesh, 
by living the life that we could not, by dying our death, being buried in the grave, and then rising again victoriously and ascending to his Father in heaven, bringing our flesh into the very presence of God, restoring that separation that man has had from God since the beginning. That is what Christ has done. So I pray that you will look to Christ in faith and repentance. Again, as that is the only way man's separation from God can be solved. I thank you for listening. I pray that God will bless you.